Joaquin Poplar. It's a privilege to be gathered here with you all, celebrating what the Lord has done. Thank you, Miss Jesse. Just a testimony to Christ and His work and His people. Also, Candy as well. I rejoice in what the Lord has done and will do. He's not done yet, right? He is faithful and good. We are in Isaiah 55. Um, we will only make it through the first five verses. Trying to get through all 13 of these would be very ambitious. So, if you would, join me in reading Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are on mission, that you are pursuing a people for your own glory. Thank you that it's you who initiate, pursue, conquer the will and hearts of men and women, that they see you high, holy, lifted up, and the allurements and entrapments of this world lose their luster in comparison to your glory. Father, give us eyes to see this morning. There's no confidence in me. There's nothing good in me that I have to give to your people but your word is good, true, and it will accomplish what you have set forth it to do. So we ask for mercy this morning. We ask, Spirit of God, that you would be our teacher, that you would open up our understanding and eyes to see, to taste the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things of his atoning, saving work. For his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah is 66 books of the Bible. So we find ourselves in Isaiah 55, and really the book of Isaiah can really be separated in three distinct uh, sections. The first one of those sections would be chapters 1 through 39, where Isaiah is writing about the Assyrian threat of the people. So he is warning them of this threat that is pending towards them. The people 
are leaning on other nations. They're calling up Egypt and other nations to come to their aid. The Lord is, Isaiah, through Isaiah, is moving his people to rely upon him and not these other nations. But Isaiah also sees in this section that we are in, from chapters 40 to 55, that Isaiah lived in the time that the Assyrians were a, a, a looming threat. But the period from 40 to 55 was Isaiah seeing, that's what it says in chapter 1, it's the vision of Isaiah. God's granted him insight to even the people of Israel or the Judea to be in Babylonian captivity. And so chapter 40 through 55 is the comforting of these exiles that are in Babylon. He's saying, comfort my people with reminders of who he is and what he's about to do. And so there's that 40 through 55 section that's there. And chapters 56 through 66 is really just future promises that all the way to the end of time, where, where Christ himself rules and reigns from Mount Zion. And so in chapters 55, but we're really in, in this section, it's really culminating and in, in pushing towards from Isaiah 53 to 55. Chapters 53 is probably one of the most well-known chapters in Isaiah talking about the suffering servant. Through this suffering servant, you can read in Isaiah 53, it says, it is out of the anguish of his soul, this, this one who has been revealed by the Lord, this one who has been despised and rejected, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. And so there it is that Christ is imputing his righteousness by taking on the satisfaction of God's wrath upon himself. He's the one that bears their iniquity. And then verse 12 says, There is an inheritance for those, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, the, the masses. So because of the work of that suffering one, we're entering into this uh, on behalf of another. There is favor poured out upon the many, upon the masses. And we'll see how far that goes as we get into Isaiah 55. But he bore the sin of many. We see also his death and his resurrection. Therefore, in verse 12, you see, I will divide him a portion with the many. Who's him? It's the suffering servant one who was crushed that was put to grief, that was cut off. And now in verse 12, he's, he remains, and a portion is divided with him. So you see, even in this text, the resurrection of Christ is, is presented, is there. And so you see, that's the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And then 54 calls for a response of this work of the suffering servant. And it says, sing. The proper response to what the Lord has done is rejoicing, singing over what has been accomplished for them in the behalf of this suffering servant. And it says, he says, I want you to sing and cry forth. In verse, uh, verse 1, it says, For the children of the desolate, will, one will be more than the children of her is married, says the Lord. In verse 2, he says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations, your, habitation, your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your gates. And so this, this gathering place for the people of God needs to be expanded because of the work of this suffering servant. 
So the tents are enlarged. The place of the dwelling where the, those who come in and abide here is to be broad, right? Do not hold back. Make this place spacious because I'm gathering a people for myself. And so you see then 54, the right response is to make room. And then 55 lets us, kind of gives us the clue of who is going to be feeling this tent. Who's feeling this tent that he's talking about bringing forth? And we see that as we come to our text in Isaiah 55. These people have been afflicted. And Isaiah 40 says they have received double for their sins. The Lord was angry with them and hid his face, but now he has compassion on them through this suffering servant. So now his words are to be a comfort to them. And this is his words through these imperatives, right? Very imperative. There's 12 commands in these verses. In verse Chapter 55, verse 1, he says, come. That really is a, it's really a mark. It's the H-O. It's a, it's a attention getting. He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the scriptures repeats things in threes. It's really an absoluteness to it. You see this in Isaiah chapter 6 where the, the, the cherubim are flying above the Lord, right? And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the emphasis is that it's absolute holiness. And instead of woe, which was Isaiah's response, we find in chapter 55 a welcoming, an invitation, an absolute welcoming for all. It's uh, universal in its scope. come. And who is he inviting? Those who are thirsty. So the only, the only requirement for this invitation is that you would have a thirst. A thirst. And he says that water is provided. Waters is being, you know, this climate. Uh, it's kind of a, some have even thought about this text as being a street vendor. Selling water uh, to, the, to the people. If you've ever been outside of this country, you understand the necessity and how valuable something that we really take for granted, how valuable it is. Uh, some people spend their whole day looking for this commodity, which is water, something that we take very um, for granted. We take advantage of that. In Haiti, I remember drinking water out of a plastic bag because you could not drink the water from the source of, of, of a sink, um, it's defiled. But this water quenches thirst. Come to the waters. You who are thirsty, come. Thirst is this insatiable desire, right? This thirst, there's this vitality in us that needs to be uh, renewed. And so we spend our lives thirsty, right? He'll get to that in verse 2. So he says, come, and he who has no money. So it's the poor, right? Those who are thirsty and those who have no resources. He says, come. I can hear Christ's words on the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The 
the prerequisite to coming to the Lord is realizing that you have no resources of your own, that you are poor and destitute, that you're desperate uh, for His salvation, for life that only comes from Him. It says, He who has no money, come buy and eat. Now that seems like a paradox, doesn't it? How do you buy without money? There's a transaction that has to be, uh, has to happen, right? There is a, there's a procurement of these things, and yet your money is no good here. There's no human efforts that can acquire these things that you are to be partaking of. There was a price. There absolutely is a price, but it's not yours to pay. The suffering servant in Isaiah 53 is the one who's opened up the avenue for those to come and partake of this spiritual nourishment that is seen in water. But notice it's not just water, it's milk and wine. So this soul substance is not just for life, but it's for nourishment, right? Milk, and uh, we're probably the only nation in the world where adults drink milk. But milk is for nourishment. You don't just give a baby water. You give them milk. They cannot eat meat. Their stomachs cannot develop it. So you must give them sustenance. And that's nourishment that they might grow and develop. He said, come for life. Come for nourishment. And come for exaltation. Come for rejoicing. Wine was reserved for those who are in the banquet feast, right? The celebrations of weddings, of, of victories. He says, come and buy wine and milk without money, and without price. And maybe this is addressing not only those who have no resources, but those who do have resources, but their money is not adequate to provide what they really need. Because he says in verse 2, he says, why, right, so you have those who are invited, those who have resources, but they're of the wrong sort. They're earthly, temporal. This must be provided by Christ and through His suffering. But there is nourishment and life and joy that is provided for those who come to Him. Verse 2 says, introspection, right? Most of the times you can really get to people if you just ask a question, right? The question is this, why do you spend your resources in labor for that which does not satisfy? C.S. Lewis says that human, humanity is this long story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. We do this, right? There is this insatiable desire in us that cannot be filled by the things of this earth. Though we try, as Hosea says, that we feed on the wind. It puffs us up and makes us feel full, but it's temporal and unfulfilling. No lasting satisfaction. Christ says the same thing to the woman at the well. He says, if you drink of this water, you will be thirsty again. And so we have found it. All of us who have lived in this world long enough have found that those things of the earth will make us thirst again. It will not satisfy, though we find 
hope and we try to fill ourselves with money, approval, power, comfort, control, acclaim, love, romance, you name it. We try to stick all these things inside of a heart that says, I need to be satisfied, I need to be fulfilled, and yet we find ourselves thirsty again. There's no lasting, lasting joy, no true lasting fulfillment in the things of this earth. It just does not quench the soul's thirst, the soul's hunger. It just produces, and honestly, it produces the opposite of life. It produces death and slavery. We think that these things will fulfill us, and yet we find them lacking, wanting. So let me ask you, what do you spend your money on? And why do you labor for things that do not satisfy? Have you found in your own pursuits to try to find some purpose and meaning of life in the things of this world? And are you thirsty, friend? Are you thirsty? Only Christ can satisfy. And that's the point. He says, listen diligently to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying to you. Hear my word and live. Listen diligent to me. The avenue of rejoicing and satisfaction comes through His word being proclaimed to you. Listen to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Notice this luxurious food. It's, 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 it's good, rich, delightful. It's not bland and tasteless. It's rejoicing in these things. And it's inner where the heart, the inner soul is feeding upon these things. Christ says it this way in, um, in John chapter 7. He stands and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And in him, if he drinks of this water, a well springing for eternal life shall be in him. Christ says that he's the bread of life. And if you eat this bread, you believing, you will have eternal life. Labor not for the food that perishes. He tells us in John chapter 6. Life is only found in God. And so this banquet feast, he says, incline your ear and come to me. The word is the avenue into which we enter into relationship with him. With him. Incline your ear and come to me. Don't just fill your heart with things that I give you, but your soul is to feast on me. Our hearts are all that we are is to feed upon Christ. And we are to find Him to the rejoicing of our souls, just like water and milk and wine. Come to me. Thirst is outside of Him. But satisfaction is in Him. Come to me, He says. This is come. It, it just over and over, listen 
diligently to me. Eat what's good. It's like telling your kids to eat your ice cream cone before it melts, right? Eat it. I mean, those are good commands, right? You like the commands that say, be filled, rejoice, delight in this, because it is good. And that's these commands that God is making to us. Incline your ear. Come to me. Why? Because life is found in your hearing and in your coming. And then he says, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Now this is interesting. And we got some work to do here. The invitation is for all. All who thirst. All who are poor. Come. So it's the invitation is there. And then he says, you come to me. And in coming to me, I will make with you. And the you there is plural. So the plural is coming to this covenant. This everlasting covenant. Notice that is life's only found in relationship with God and in covenant with God. This covenant has a person. Right? The, benefit, the benefits of the covenant that God has made with an individual, we are to be partakers of. Notice this on behalf of another. God has entered into covenant with the one who is named here, David. And because of this covenant that God has entered in with him, we are to be partakers of the benefit of that covenant. But the problem here is David is dead. <laughs> right? I mean, we don't enter into a covenant with David. So who is, how do I make this, how do we as the people of God are gathered into this eternal covenant that is in the commands that God has made or the covenant that God has made with David? And for those, for those of you who don't know where this is, we're going to read a couple of passages here. So the, the command, so 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's go here first. David has a desire in 1 Samuel chapter 7. He wants to build a house for the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant, namely. A temple, a house. And so he tells Nathan that he wants to do this. And Nathan says, go do what's in your heart. But then God calls Nathan and says, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. And he was picked this up in verse 5. He says, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build a house? Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of Seba? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince, a ruler over my people Israel. 
And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name like the great names, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them there so they may dwell in their own place and be, no, be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. For the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You want to make me a house? David, I'm the one who brought you from the sheep. You were in the pasture, son. And I'm the one who has elevated you to this leadership position. Would you build me a house? No, I will build you a house, David. And this, what kind of house does he mean? Verse 12, excuse me, and I will give you rest uh, and make you a house. Verse 12, and when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul when I put him away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision Nathan spoke to David. Now Psalms 89 gives us commentary on what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Psalms 89. So you have it there that God is promising that he is going to, the offspring or the son of David will have a house for the Lord, a people, a kingdom, and a throne. That his throne will be forever. So when we come to Isaiah 55, we do not see that David is enduring, right? David is dead. So in Psalms 89, the questioning, reminding God of these faithfulness and this steadfast love, he starts to wonder, right? Verse 1, it says, I will, sing, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Verse 2, for I have said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Verse 3, you have said. The psalmist is reporting back to God what God has said. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my David. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Same thing that he said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, what God has said. The psalmist is reminding God of what he has said. And then in verse, verse 22, he said, verse, excuse me, verse 20, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him. So that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not upwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and will strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my, this is God speaking, my faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn, 
be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. Even if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not my commandments, then I will punish them for their, their, their transgression with a rod and the iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the words that went forth from my lips. Rejoice. Rejoice that even the failures of the people of Israel would not revolt. It would not revoke the covenant that God had made. He says, even if your people don't walk in my statutes and they violate this, I will not take my steadfast love from you. I will not remove my faithfulness. I will not lie to David. I will not violate my covenant. Whatever has gone out of my mouth will remain. It will not change. Rejoice that you have a God who speaks words and will not change. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Whatever he says, uh, even as Hebrew says, it is impossible for God to lie. Whatever he says is sure and steadfast and an anchor for our souls. Remind yourselves of the promises that God has made. As this psalmist is doing, so should we do. Remind God of what he has said. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Verse 35, once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon it shall be established forever. God, you've made these promises, the psalmist is saying. You've made this covenant that you've entered it with him. But that's not what I'm seeing. That's what 38 says. But now you've cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You defiled the crown and the dust. You've breached all the walls. You have laid the stronghold in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies to rejoice. You have not turned back the edge of the sword. And you have not made him to stand in battle. You have made his splendor, his glory cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth and have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and not see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of hell, Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? Where is your faithfulness that you swore to David? Where is it, Lord? Cannot see the place now that we have violated there. We, we did. That Isaiah, the reason the people are in exile is because they went after other gods. They did violate God's law. They did turn aside. And now the psalmist is asking, do you remember what you said? 
Where is it, Lord? And here in Isaiah 55, he says, it's here. It's here. Come. Everything that I promised to David is yours because of what the suffering servant has accomplished. And not only has he accomplished the salvation of your souls, but he is your king. Notice this. Watch the transition back in Isaiah 55. He says, I will make a covenant with you, my steadfast, sure love for David. That's the entering in it. And then verse 4, he says, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commandment, commander for the peoples. I made him a witness to the peoples. Who is this witness? Is this David? Or is there another? I think the text helps us here. Who is this one who is elevated as a leader and a commander for the peoples? Verse 5 helps us. Notice that I said in verse, verse 3, he says, I will make with you, and that you is plural. That is the you of those who is invited to come to this banquet feast. That's the you that's in 55, 1, and 2, and 3. That's the plural of those. But 5 says, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you. The you here is singular. Every one of these is talking to an individual. So the question is, who is it? Who is this seed of David that God, saying a nation who did not know him, shall run to him? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Acts chapter 13, I want you to see this. Paul is in the Sanhedrin in Antioch, and, they're at, and they say, hey, if you've got anything encouraging to say to, to the people, go ahead and stand and say it. <laughs> Paul takes full advantage of that. He says, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. Watch this. Uh, I, I'm not going to go through all of this, but he says, uh, verse th we'll pick up in verse 32, and he says, and we bring you good news, that which God promised to the fathers, that he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm, second psalm, you are my son, today I've begotten you. So this resurrection of Christ, he says that God is fulfilling his promises that he has made to the fathers. He quotes Psalms 2, and as for the fact, this is verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. What he is doing in this passage is referring back to Isaiah 55 that we had just read and equates them with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is saying that the blessings of David are to the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the seed. 
He is the offspring of David that God said is a ruler for the people. It is in Him we are to rejoice. The banquet feast is for those who know the suffering Christ, not only as the one who suffered, but the one who reigns, whose throne and kingdom will have no end. Rejoice, people, that God has kept His word and the promises that He made 700 years before has been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, whom He raised from the dead. Christ was raised from the dead and has ascended to the throne of David and all the promises that God has made that His faithfulness and His steadfast love and His mercies will never depart from Him are yours because you are in Christ. Rejoice! He says it the same way in Romans chapter 1. This, these promises, how he links Christ to David. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Paul says he's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who, has de- who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This descendant of David is Jesus Christ. He is the one who rules and reigns. He is the one whom we are waiting for His return when He ascends to the place in Mount Zion and all the nations shall be ruled by Him. This is what we're to rejoice in. This is where we live. This is how we are satisfied that we belong to this covenant through Christ. The nations, back to Isaiah 55, he says, A nation you did not know shall run to you. That's us. I don't know how many Jewish people we have in here, but I'm not one. But I'm one of those of the nation that ran to Christ. Why? Because he invited me and revealed himself to me. Your running is because he was revealing. And now you are satisfied in him. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel has glorified you. And in that glory, we partake of glory. All the blessings of God are yours because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's not our own doing. We are the poor and the destitute, the thirsty and hungry, those who do not have any resources in ourselves. And God calls the beggars off the streets and says, sit at my table with my elevated, resurrected king. Come, eat with my son. Rejoice, live, for he is glorified. That's what he says in Philippians, right? He says, and given him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you're sitting at the table. You're sitting at the table. 
You're welcomed. You're not an outcast and cut off. You're invited, seated, welcomed, absolutely welcomed into His presence. So let me ask you a question. What are you spending your money on? And what are you laboring for that does not satisfy? God keeps His word. Rejoice. God has accomplished everything on your behalf. Rejoice. How shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? These are benefits and greatly benefits of the person and work of Christ. They're yours. The allurement of this world loses its luster when the glory of the resurrected Christ is seen. The allurements and lies, that's what he says, listen diligently to me. Do you think he's the only voice calling out to you? Absolutely not. But if you hear his voice and come to him, you will live. You will live. You'll never thirst again. Not that way. Satisfied. You have made known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forever. Fullness of joy. We have morsels and foretastes now as we commune with this resurrected Lord. But then... Uninhibited, full access, total joy that does not diminish or lack, fullness of it. And even now, he tells us in Ephesians that we could be filled with the fullness of God. I don't know what that is fully, but I want to. That I might know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding and be filled with the fullness of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you laboring? Are you on the endless cycle of that treadmill, always running but never getting anywhere? Have you gone to these other avenues looking for satisfaction? Only Christ satisfies. Only life is found in Him and in covenant with Him. Rejoice, for He has glorified Him, and in doing such has made you partakers of glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for our time this morning. Lord, change us for Jesus' sake. May we do exactly what you've commanded us to do this morning. Come to you. As you said in Matthew, I will give you rest. May your spirit draw hearts, the thirsty, the poor, Come rejoicing, full of life that comes from your Son. Those are your effective witnesses.
those whom you have poured out your love and joy. We can't help but to sing. Make your people sing today. For Jesus' sake, amen.